0: Hey everybody, this is Tim from Tonebenders. Before I send you into the main body of this episode, I wanted to let you in on a bit of background. As you listen to this one, you'll find that the interview just suddenly ends abruptly. This is because we recorded the talk on June 30th, and both the guests were on the Warner Brothers lot while they were talking to me. I guess it turns out that a transformer blew up on the lot, and the power went out over there. I was able to re-establish contact with them, but there was a lot of confusion about exactly what was happening. It sounded like a big explosion to them, and they were being evacuated from the buildings. So we had to pull the plug on the rest of the interview, unfortunately. Still, I think we got an interesting discussion laid down before we had to call it a day. So here is the interview, at least as far as we got with it. So with that knowledge in your back pocket, let's jump into the episode. Here we go.
1: You're listening to Tonebenders, the sound designer's podcast. Let's do this.
0: Hello and welcome to Tonebenders, where we talk with the sonic artists behind our favorite films, games, and series. My name is Tim Muirhead, and I will be your host today as we dig into the sound design on the latest DC superhero movie, The Flash. The film follows our hero as he tries to go back in time to save his family, but upends the apple cart and changes things in the future accidentally. Between real time travel, action sequences, and ample comedy, there's a vast amount of sound design adding to the experience of this film. We are lucky to have two members of the sound team with us today to talk about how it all came together, so let's meet them now. First up, we have The Flash's supervising sound editor, Nancy Nugent-Title. It's wonderful to meet you, Nancy.
1: Welcome. Thank you. Nice to meet you, too.
0: Also with us is John Marquis. John was the sound designer, re-recording mixer, and supervising sound editor on this project. Welcome to Tonebenders, John, it's nice to meet you.
2: Nice to meet you, Tom.
0: Awesome. Before we dig into some of the heavier sound design stuff, I wanted to just make a point of saying that the sound has a couple of solo comedy moments in this film. Uh, One moment in particular where the audience is expecting a big superhero moment but a very comedic sound is deployed to tell us the character no longer has his superpowers anymore. The audience in my screening was laughing really, really hard as Barry was just running around in circles to the sound of these ridiculous shoe squeaks. Uh, I was wondering if maybe you can tell us how that moment came together.
2: Well, that was uh, right out of the can from uh, Jason Ballantyne. Andy, you know, we updated it and made him maybe a bit more... Squeaky. uh, ...literal sounding and more squeaky, kind of more funny. But uh, that, that was their... Their plan from the beginning and they outlined like they did pretty well with temp track. And those are the picture
1: editors you're referring to?
2: Yeah, Jason Valentine, Andy Mussiati.
1: Andy is the director of The Flash. Uh, picture editors were Jason Valentine and
2: Paul Matchless. Yeah, it's crazy when you think about how long ago this started in November of, or summer of 21. It's like I have to go in the way back machine here to try to remember how some of this stuff came about.
1: There's a similar funny sound moment when uh original we call them original barry and young barry when young barry is creating his homemade flash costume out of an old bat suit and it shows all the the montage of the spray paint and the and then yeah the cut to the (coughs) the little little hand saw that he's using kind of a similar Andy loves those comic moments so we tried to help out with that any opportunity we got
0: but to make them comedic in both those cases i believe uh, it's also a collaboration with the music department because the music cuts right out.
1: Right. it's The contrast is, is the comedy.
0: Uh, it was alluded to earlier about the schedule for The Flash. Like, this wasn't a kind of regularly linear schedule from what I understand due to COVID and other things. Uh, how often were you going back in to open it up compared to, like, did you actually wrap on it in 2021? Or was it uh, an ongoing project because the release date kept getting pushed back?
2: It was pretty linear, at least from our perspective. We had a hiatus uh, for pickups in the summer of 22. Yes. Right? Last summer. We had like a four, was it like two months
1: off? I think so, yeah. Or four months,
2: something between. Yeah, Yeah. and that was just just to cover um, a lot of just miscellaneous stuff. I think maybe addressing the ending.
1: A lot of what they shot during that period, besides letting VFX catch up, was um, Ezra's volume capture. He's in the movie basically two times. One is always him as captured on camera. And the other one is him filmed in this volume capture. Uh, I'm not sure how to explain it. It's like a big metal tube about 30 feet across. And that's where he performed the other side of the other Ezra character that was in any given scene. So that was all shot sometimes months later at a different location. Some of it in London, some of it here in L.A. and a couple different spots. Um, so a lot of that was shot. And then, you know, then they have to go through the whole process of replacing the actor's face who was acting with Ezra on set with Ezra's face shot in the volume capture setup.
0: I'm sure the, the uh, quality of the sound matched perfectly when it's shot months later in a totally different location.
1: <laughs> well, in a big metal tube, basically, that's it's a circular wall of TV panels, basically. And with an open top on a soundstage, you couldn't design a worse location for audio (laughs) recording. It was, they had, they suspended four booms from the ceiling and had lobs, but it was just so, we asked if there's any way, can you pad anything? We couldn't even pad the floor because of the light that was coming up. I mean, it's a really amazing setup, but horrible for sound. So that did, that did present all sorts of extra... Fun.
0: <laughs> and what was the solution ADR or were you able to save some of it?
1: Sometimes it was salvageable. Sometimes there were uh, you know, D-reverb programs that helped out. Sometimes it just was a matter of using a couple different microphones and combining them together. And sometimes we just ADR'd. Sometimes there was ADR that we had shot previously, um, that we were able to repurpose and it, it just happened in so many layers. But yeah, in the end, a few of the lines had to be replaced. But a lot of it we we were able to use. Stuff that was really tough was if we're outside, you know, the trying to sell the sound of someone in a big metal tube being outside. For sure. It's just really difficult to do under any circumstances. So there was some ADR done.
0: I'm going to change streams a little bit. Uh, speaking of difficult to do, in this film, there is a ton of electricity sound effects. And electricity is a sound that everybody knows what it sounds like, but we also don't want it to sound like that, if that makes sense. Like, we've all heard the sound ideas, electricity sound, that's been in every project from 1986, you know. This film, you're presented with a ton of electrical effects. There's even lightning, a whole scene based around lightning. But it all sounds really fresh and new. Uh, I was wondering if maybe we could talk through your approach to designing the sound of electricity Maybe John, do you want to take that first? How, how did you like when you saw how much you needed? What was your first uh, thought on how to approach it?
2: Yeah, it was going to be how to keep it interesting, right? Because there's a lot of it. And like you said, like, there's this expectation of what it's supposed to sound like. And when you violate that, sometimes I can go really poorly, right? people are upset because it doesn't sound how they're expecting it to sound. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, he needs to be fresh in something new. And so the cool thing about this one was going to be, yeah, the contrast between the slow-mo electricity, slow-mo kind of bullet time stuff happening, and then the the visceral, like, uh, literal realism kind of vibes. And so uh, that... You know, opened itself up to a bunch of really great experiments, little rabbit trails that we went down with uh, Andy on to try to land on on stuff that we were all happy with. But, uh, yeah, that was the main focus for me was just uh, that tactile immediacy of electricity. When you get near something hot, hot live wire, you know, your skin kind of get goosebumps, your hair stands up, the static kind of feeling. And and so, um you know, the visual effect of all that stuff was so... Um, clear and and precise. And so the sound just needed to to match that. A couple of the things, you know, there's a lot of experimenting that went on, but one of the more successful um, things that I landed on was a tape. I I had, a, I was just messing around with a bunch of packaging tape, like a rubbery packaging tape that was, I had pulled taut, like, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 feet of it. So it pulled really taut and raised it off the ground. So it had some resonant qualities to it. And I had taped the two sticky sides together and then just did a slow peel that gave it like a nice little springy resonance. At the same time, it produced that kind of that that tactile immediate pop and crack and snap those super transient little little bits and pieces. And so that that came in handy just because it had a nice tonal quality to it, but it also satisfied the, the crackle, snap, crackle, pop that we want. Uh, you know, another thing I worked with was just trying to get movement out of it uh, the sound of electricity, because there's a lot of, you know, him zipping around and doing all kinds of stuff. And so I, I ended up with a handful of bubble bubble wrap, I believe, and then also assorted recyclable plastic bottles that I would crush and just get a really good kind of a sharp transient, but then also allowed for some play to get that squealy, squeaky kind of sound that I just, that that's what I was really interested in getting. I wasn't really interested in the white noise blast I was trying just trying to get something that had a little tone to it something unique and that could lend itself to some travel without yeah feeling one-dimensional
0: and then how are you processing those recordings of the tape and the bottles and such not I'm trying not to do too much I like the
2: the more organic the sound the the better it is uh, I always feel like overprocessed stuff is just too heavy-handed most times so there was uh, I used uh, some Dopplering Doppler plugins I used the sound uh, sound particles comes in really handy for a lot of a lot of stuff that it's not necessarily designed for. That I use for single source Dopplering, a distortion plugin just to kind of make some frequencies uh, have a little hair, <laughs> a little rizzy, but without destroying the whole the whole signal. Um, yeah, and then just making sure I got plenty of bass in there, a lot of low end. <laughs> How do you get the bass in there? Aside from just EQing, I'm just I'm simply using um, plugins. Like I'll use, uh, is it Leapwing Audio it has uh, Root One. I use that one a lot, subharmonic synthesizer. And yeah, they're all different flavors, Low Ender and uh, uh, whatever the Pro Tools, uh, Avid Pro, LFE, acts differently, you get different results with them.
0: So a lot of times when the electricity is happening, there's also dialogue happening. I was wondering if you wanted to talk about how you kind of clear dialogue, how dialogue uh, is maybe moved around to make room for electricity. Is there, am I, are both of you doing sound effects or is one di- focusing on dialogue? How, what's your, your interplay as co-sound supervisors?
1: John is definitely the effects designer of us, and I uh, focus on the dialogue ADR.
2: And then we get on the we get on the stage. Then and we everyone has ideas. So then it's 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 up for grabs. But usually the hands on stuff. Then it's a free for all. Yeah, I don't I don't cut any dialogue. Although this time around, though, there was there was some really cool dialogue treatments and dialogue processes. So Nancy will get everything prepped. She'll send me uh, stuff to mess around with, and then I'll do like a design uh, pass on it, and then flip it back to her, and then she gets it in there
1: yeah uh the chrono bowl was a big dialogue design a couple of moments in there were pretty cool
2: so yeah back to your question though about electricity i mean mainly it's just getting out of way getting out of the way of dialogue there's not much in regards to playing sound effects and dialogue at the same time where dialogue isn't going to uh win (laughs) always
0: (laughs) but also with the crackling and popping a lot of that can kind of be in the same range as the dialogue yeah
2: So yeah, mainly, and there's simply just getting it off the screen channels, getting it off, spread out, rolling it off so it's not occupying uh, high-end stuff. So you're able to focus more on the dialogue, you know, satisfying those frequencies.
1: big part of our team is our re-recording mixers, Tim LeBlanc and Michael Keller, who are masters. They're amazing. In the end, a lot of it in their hands as far as balancing and finding the space and both of them have such a keen sense of how to make everything full and keep everything discreet and clear
2: that was a big uh, challenge knowing the high energy music that's going to be happening coupled within all these bright theoretically bright sounding electric electrical kind of sound effects and so we're, we're really conscious about having stuff around and just you know, kind of contained on the high end so it'd be something fun to listen to and not <laughs> not painful <laughs>
0: So uh, how do you deal with uh, electricity zaps and stuff? Well, I just did it. There's an automatopoeia built into that. Like people, sometimes, you know, you're talking to a director and they're saying it needs to be more blue or something like that. And you're not really sure what they mean. But I feel like with electricity, there are words to get in. Uh, How did the back and forth go with your director on revisions and notes? Was that an easier process or harder? Pretty easy.
2: Andy's a... Very reactionary. Like he likes to be presented ideas and then react to them, as opposed to, you know, it's a lot of the script stuff was spelled out very clearly in the script. Also, the picture edit was very. I mean, of course, there was a lot of subjectivity to it, but it seemed obvious uh, from our perspective what what needed to happen when things needed to be um, softer and more more kind of leaned into a more emotional, subjective kind of moment, as opposed to like these blasts of, of powerful realism. A lot of that was sculpted kind of with the temp track, the temp music track that the music department had been providing and had been laid in to the cut. Um, that's always the challenge, right? How do you get inside someone's head and try to understand what it is they're going for? I just think there, there's a lot of similar sensibilities all around on this team. It was it was really very intuitive and very straightforward working with Jason and Paul and then, of course, Andy and Barbara and the whole, whole production side. Um, there weren't, there weren't many, I don't think any out of left field ideas, everything kind of felt very natural.
1: Well, there wasn't a lot, there wasn't a lot of back and forth or anything. I feel like Andy's, I feel like we had his trust and his confidence and he was really pleased with just our vision, just being a shared vision. He's the director. And of course he had opinions and, but there wasn't a lot of like, you know, late into the night nitpicking. Oh my, us just, you know. <laughs> you know trying a million different things it was we were all pretty focused
0: okay so that's as far as we got that's when the power went out hopefully we can have Nancy and John back on again someday soon I want to send out a big thanks to both of them for their time and patience while we figured out what was going on stay tuned to our feed for the next little while as we have a couple of straight up great talks coming your way one episode is with the sound team of the final season of Succession and another with the sound supervisor of the latest Mission Impossible film. They are both not to be missed. Until then, my name is Tim Muirhead. Thanks for listening to the Tonebenders Sound Design Podcast.
1: Tonebenders is produced by Timothy Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Moro. Theme music is by Mark Strait. Send your emails to info at tonebenderspodcast.com Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or B&H, or leave us a tip. Just go to tonebenderspodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening.
0: Are you looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? Tonebenders is part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.